Today's episode is brought to you by Azoth. Azoth is a Boston-based women-owned supplement company that makes premium quality supplements for women with the mission to help people reach their highest potential without the harmful side effects of over-the-counter medication. Their newest supplement, Boss Flow, is a PMS gummy that helps every woman be a boss no matter what day of the month it is. These little gummies are packed full with a delicious blast of strawberry flavor and powerful vitamins and nutrients to help soothe menstrual cramps, stop bloating, and balance out hormonal mood swings and acne symptoms that are often caused by periods. Trust us, we've heard these really work. Boss Flow is exclusively offering our listeners 10% off your next purchase by going to Amazon.com, searching for Boss Flow gummies, and using the code BOSSFLOW. That's code B-O-S-S-F-L-O-W to get 10% off your purchase at checkout. You need to have an Amazon or Amazon Prime account to get these delicious gummies. Order Boss Flow, supplements for boss women on the go. The Oracle Network. Welcome to Yield Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Stengel. Hello. Hello. How's it going? (laughs) That was a funny little noise. (sighs) I'm fine. Did I I make that noise? It sounded like, did you say, how are you? (laughs) What did you say? I said hello again. Oh, <laughs> it's not <sounded> like oh. <laughs> super fancy sigh. That's, that's my strange vocalized pause now. I've had some coffee, so I'm doing good. Yeah, mine's finally kicking in, and my allergy meds are finally kicking in because you can, you know, how I know all our allergy sufferers will know this when the medicine kicks in and your nose just goes numb. Oh, yes, and you're like, okay, this is good. It's going to be a good day. It's going to be a great day. (laughs) Just a reminder once again that we are the Oracle Network's podcast of the month. I don't believe it. And if you would like to check out other podcasters that are part of the Oracle Network, we are including a link to a Podchaser list that I put together of all the different podcasts that are part of the network. And obviously, if you support the show, that's awesome. Please continue to do so. Yeah. Just add all of our episodes and then sprinkle in all of the other fun ones. Mm-hmm. Just so you don't get bored with our voices. Don't leave. We love you. Don't leave us. Stay. Today's topic is mm. selected by Kim from the Kudzu Killers podcast. Okay. And we are going to be discussing Theodosia Burr Alston. That's a really incredible name. Right? It's very commanding. Uh, pronouns? She, her. Theodosia. Theodosia. I have never heard that before. I think you're going to enjoy this episode. But it, it Was she in the Victorian era? It was in the seven, late 1700s, early 1800s. Yep, that's a very Victorian name. Mm-hmm. Theodosia. Information was pulled from the following sources. A 2020 All That's Interesting article by Daniel Rennie and Leah Silverman. 2019 Library of Congress blog post by Heather Thomas. 2018 History Daily article, 
2016 Atlas Obscura article by Hadley Mears, 2016 Mental Floss article by Chloe Arnold, Historic Mysteries article by Doug McGowan, History of American Women blog posts, North Carolina Coast Lifestyle Magazine article, and Wikipedia. And I have four links on Wikipedia because I had to double check four different people. And links to all of these articles will be included in the show notes. All right. Theodosia Burr Alston was born to Aaron and Theodosia Bartow Prevost Burr on June 21st, 1783 in Albany, New York. Aaron Burr's daughter? Yes. Oh, dang. Like when you said Burr, I was like, wait, wait. I was waiting for it to connect. (laughs) The coffee has kicked in. (laughs) Good morning, Theodosia Burr. All right. This is going to get weird. Her parents, the quite famous colonel and later vice president, Aaron Burr, and her mother, for whom she is named, had married the year before on July 2nd, 1782 at the Hermitage while Aaron was serving in the Revolutionary War. Wait, so she's a Theodosia Jr.? Yes. Aaron was 10 years younger than his wife, and he was her third husband. Oh, nice. Yeah, the other two had died in the military, so. Oh, no. So she's like an unintentional Black Widow. Yeah, she's got quite the track record. She likes some sassy and fighting. Yep. I can relate. Aaron and his wife held many discussions regarding their love of politics, philosophy, and feminism. After receiving his license to practice as an attorney, the family moved to New York City in 1783 so Aaron could practice law. Aaron Burr was a well-educated and progressive man, and after reading a book by feminist author Mary Wollstonecraft entitled, quote, A Vindication of the Rights of Women, end quote, he determined that he would give Theodosia, who he lovingly referred to as Little Miss Pris. Oh my God, no! Yes. <laughs> the best education possible for a man or a woman. You go, A.A. Ron. Aaron is quoted as saying, quote, I hope yet by her to convince the world what neither sex seems to believe, that women have soul, end quote. Dang. Okay, like, I get that. But, like, women don't have soul? Like, what were you? I know. Who were we? We were just supposed to be pretty and have babies. Yeah, but, like, don't you need a soul to, like, birth souls? (laughs) Maybe you just meant more than just being pretty. Like, having soul, like, presence and... Wow. He was there times Oprah. Yep. You get a soul and you get a soul. Everybody gets a soul. Mansplaining souls. (laughs) And then Oprah was born and he was like, oh, that's how you do it. And I'll got it. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Since Theodosia was believed to be his only surviving child, he apparently fathered two illegitimate children with another woman prior to his marriage. Many believe he planned to groom her to take over his family legacy as a son would. That makes sense with his views. Yeah. Theodosia's education was considered extremely progressive given the time, and by the age of 10, she'd read all of The History of the Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, which is a six-volume work by English historian Edward Gibbon. She also learned how to read Horace and Terence in Latin, learned Greek grammar, arithmetic, spoke French, Latin, and German, took dancing and piano lessons, and learned to skate. Nice. Like ice skate? It just said skate, so I'm assuming it's ice skate. Yeah. Could you imagine a bunch of Victorian women on, like, roller skates? I am just picturing type of noises as they're, like... Or they have, like, their little... What are the tiny umbrellas? Parasols? 
Parasails. I was going to say parasails. <laughs> like, that's not right. They're just parasailing on skates. <laughs> parasailing on skates. Wow. <laughs> Rewriting history. Cool. He invented an entirely new sport. But could you imagine of like, because skating is, is back kind of in vogue right mm-hmm. now. So just a bunch of Victorian women with parasols, just like skating on Instagram. Oh my God. It's going to happen now. We, we've we put it out into the universe. Yep. Some Visco girls going to be like, as she's like skating or by like in her a, Victorian. A Victorian dress with like a cameo <laughs> and a parasol. She's like, it's like super hot. <laughs> and then when she falls, she'd be like, and I oop. <laughs> <laughs> the only subject she was not educated on was religion, as Aaron was an atheist. Oh, dang. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is a spicy family. Her mother died May 18th, 1795 at the age of 47. And it's believed she passed from cancer. She'd been sick the entire time that Aaron Burr had known her. Mm. In her mother's absence, Theodosia had to manage the household during her father's numerous absences while he was serving as the U.S. Senator for New York, as well as continue her education. Mm -hmm. She was 11 when her mother passed. By the time she was 14, Theodosia started serving as a hostess at Richmond Hill, which was Aaron's country estate in modern-day Greenwich Village. Theodosia supported her father's political career and often held grand parties at the estate where she charmed everyone in attendance. Of course. In a biography written about her life in 1908, author Charles Felton Pidgen noted that she was the first woman in America to have what many would call a college education. Not only was she fiercely intelligent, but she was known as a great beauty with incredible wit. Oh, nice. So she was the whole package. She's like, you got boxes to check? I made the boxes. And I check all of them. Could you imagine if she just tried to impress people by just speaking Latin? Oh, my God. And they'd be like, what? You know, the, the best the best icebreaker. Just start speaking Latin. Mm-hmm. You're like, what about the Roman War? I don't... In 1800, Theodosia fell in love with a wealthy rice planter from South Carolina named Joseph Alston. Joseph was born on November 10th, 1779 in Georgetown, South Carolina. He attended college, but left in 1796 without graduating. He instead went to study law with Edward Rutledge and was admitted to the bar. He later gave up his aspirations to practice law and instead took over the Oaks, which is his family's plantation, making him one of the wealthiest planters in South Carolina. I don't really like him. I don't like the fact that he was like, I got slaves. Well, no, he's he doesn't seem to be a finisher. Oh, we'll we'll get to it. Okay. The pair were married on February 2nd, 1801 and honeymooned at Niagara Falls. They got married on Groundhog's Day. They did. Fun fact. It said that the pair were the first celebrity couple to honeymoon at what has now become the honeymoon capital of the world. Yeah, they would. Yeah. Th- yeah, she was. Okay. She was well, a trendsetter. The, the Oprah's of their time. Mm-hmm. Theodosia was 17 and Joseph was 22 at the time of their marriage. Around a month later, Theodosia and Joseph watched as her father was sworn in as the third vice president of the United States under President Thomas Jefferson on March 4th, 1801. Mm-hmm. In May of 1802, Theodosia gave birth to a son named Aaron Burr Alston, which her father nicknamed Gampy. Gampy? Yeah. What? I know. It's weird. Looks like it should be his nickname. Yeah. 
it makes it sound it it sounds like a kid who can't say the word grandpa. Yeah. <laughs> Weird. Maybe he didn't want to be a grandpa. So he was like, you're going to be the Gampy. You're the grandpa. <laughs> Listen up, baby. <laughs> We're going to Benjamin Button this shit. You're the Gampy. <laughs> Who's the Gampy now, Gampy? <laughs> Come at me, bro. You can't. You're a baby. <laughs> I'm a vice president. <laughs> the pregnancy and birth of Gampy was extremely hard for Theodosia. And she suffered a prolapsed uterus that left her in immense pain for the remainder of her life. Oh, my. Unfortunately, this injury made intercourse with her husband impossible. She was 18 when she and her husband basically had to become celibate. Oh, no. Theodosia would visit places like Saratoga, New York and Boston Spa to try and restore her often failing health but nothing she ever tried seemed to cure her of the bouts of illness that she would continue to face following her son's birth. Theodosia had a hard time adjusting to life in the South on the plantation her husband and his family called home. The Oaks was the Alston estate on the Waccamaw River in South Carolina near Georgetown. She often struggled with the hot, humid climate and the swampy low country. And even though it was quite beautiful, she still chose to spend half the year in New York visiting her father. That would make sense. I mean, as somebody who lives farther north, not as far north as New York, technically, but I would have a really hard time yeah. with living in the South. That'd be quite the adjustment because it is. It's just a completely different. It's that wet heat that we're talking about. It's that wet heat. Which is worse than what we would have here in Minnesota because it's like all swampland pretty much. Yeah, I don't do well with heat. Yeah. There are theories that Aaron approved of Theodosia's match due to the fact that the Alston family was so well off. Aaron wasn't the best with finances and often agonized over how he could keep his Richmond Hill property. Many believe that he held out hope that as a result of the union, he'd be able to gain access to some of the perks being a member of the Southern Gentry afforded. Hmm. I mean, I can see that. Yeah. You're struggling financially and you're like, hey there, son. Hey, son. I need a house. (laughs) Yeah. Help me keep my house. Help me keep the lights on. July 10th, 1804, Aaron wrote a note to Theodosia that read as follows, quote, I am indebted to you, my dearest Theodosia, for a very great portion of the happiness which I have enjoyed in this life. You have completely satisfied all that my heart and affections had hoped for or even wished, end quote. The next day, Aaron famously killed Alexander Hamilton in a duel in Weehawken, New Jersey. It's rumored that the duel was started due to a comment that Alexander made in regards to Aaron's morbid affections for his daughter, Theodosia. Oh, there were whispers of incest between the pair. And even though she was 11 at the time of her mother's passing and Aaron was 38, it had been noted throughout her upbringing that Theodosia was unusually fond of her father to the point that at times she would be inconsolable as a child when he would be away on business during his time as an attorney and New York senator. Aww. I'm not saying that they were doing anything that V.C. Andrews would love to write about, but it has been noted in more than one book about her life that if nothing else, he was committing a form of emotional incest with her and treated her as a bit of a wife substitute. Yeah. I mean, I could see that, especially if she's like keeping the house and being like supporting his properties and his career. Mm -hmm. That's a little more of like a caregiver Mm -hmm. than a child. Yeah. 
The pair wrote back and forth constantly, and as I mentioned before, even though she was married, she spent half the year visiting her dad, which is kind of weird. It's weird, but at the same time, she was cel- she had to be celibate, and I don't know, a lot of relationships, that physical connection is really important. So I could see why, if she doesn't have that, and she has more of an emotional connection to her dad. I can see that. And especially, I would, I would imagine being in a quote-unquote cooler climate if you're continually not feeling well. Sick. That might be yeah. better for your health. Yeah. Aaron went on the run before finishing out his term as vice president. He was charged with Hamilton's murder and put on trial, at which Theodosia was, of course, by his side. Mm -hmm. When he was acquitted and essentially a political pariah, he turned his plans westward. In 1806, Aaron traveled to Ohio and met up with an Irishman named Harmon Blennerhassett, as well as General James Wilkinson. They all formed a plan to encourage Louisiana and other western states along the Mexico border to secede from the Union to form a new country. Hmm. Aaron planned to rule this new country as its emperor with the goal of having his daughter Theodosia succeed him in its rule as its empress. Wow, he's really taking quite a turn. Yes. (laughs) Surprisingly, both Theodosia and her husband Joseph were totally on board with this crazy idea. Why not? And helped fund Aaron's endeavors to make his dream a reality. The family even headed west to help him before he was found out and arrested on charges of treason. Yeah, that's exactly what that is. After being tried for nearly an entire year and eventually acquitted for treason in 1807 in Richmond, Virginia, Aaron traveled to Europe and put himself in a self-imposed exile for the next four years. Well, that was so kind of him to put himself in that exile. At this point in time, Theodosia's health was rapidly declining. Many believe that she was in the final stages of uterine cancer. Makes sense. In 1808, she wrote a strangely worded letter to a doctor in the third person that read, quote, The most violent affections have tormented her during the whole of the last 18 months. Hysteric fits, various colors and flashes of light before her, yes, Figures passing around her bed, strange noises, low spirits, and worse. What indeed would I not risk once more to see him, and by that she means her father, to Mm -hmm. place my child upon his knee and again spend my days in the happy occupation of endeavoring to anticipate his wishes, end quote. Yeah. Throughout her time in South Carolina, Theodosia would continue to travel to spas seeking treatment for her illnesses and spend months on end avoiding social gatherings in Columbia and Charleston as a result of her poor health. On June 30th, 1812, tragedy struck the Alston family when Theodosia's son died of malaria at the age of 10. Following the loss of her only child, she wrote, quote, the world is blank. I have lost my boy, end quote. That's so sad. Understandably, Theodosia was severely depressed following the death of her son and was physically unwell for a long time, as she had been since his birth. It wasn't until the fall of 1812 that she felt well enough to make the journey to New York to see her father, who had returned from his self-imposed exile in June of that year. Okay. Her husband, Joseph, was uncomfortable with her making the journey for a number of reasons, not just her ill health. The nation was in the midst of fighting the War of 1812 against their former allies, the British, over maritime rights, Mm -hmm. not to mention expansionism and politics. As Brigadier General of the South Carolina Militia, not to mention the newly appointed governor as of December 10, 1812, 
there was nice. no way he could abandon his post to travel with his wife. Yeah, that makes sense. Sea travel was also extremely risky during this time, as British warships patrolled the Atlantic coast, not to mention the severe weather and an even worse threat, pirates, such as a group of wreckers known as the Carolina Bankers. So all a the bunch things, of bankers. All Just the things. a bunch of seafaring bankers. When it became apparent that nothing would change her mind, her father enlisted the help of an old friend and business associate, Dr. Timothy Green, to act as Theodosia's guardian and chaperone during the voyage. Joseph decided that they would travel aboard the Patriot as it held the best reputation of any vessel for its excellence and speed. Joseph even used his connections to get a letter to the British Navy, which was blockading the Carolina coast, to request safe passage for his wife. Kind of bold. Yeah. The Patriot itself was a privateer that was part of a flotilla of privately owned ships that the American government would hire to capture the cargoes of merchant mariners during the War of 1812. The vessel had recently returned from several months of privateering in the West Indies, and her hold was overflowing with loot from a number of successful raids. The captain of the Patriot had the vessel disguised before its voyage by stowing the guns below deck and painting over the ship's name on the bow. Theodosia was accompanied by Dr. Green, a French maid, and a skeleton crew. She and Joseph said goodbye to one another in Georgetown on December 31st, 1812. This mm -hmm. would be the last time that they would see each other. Yeah, I kind of figured. The trip from South Carolina to New York should have taken five to six days, but the Patriot and all aboard the schooner simply vanished. When mm. weeks had passed with no word of her safe arrival to New York, both Aaron and Joseph feared the worst had happened. Yeah. Joseph wrote the following to Aaron regarding the disappearance of the Patriot. Quote, in three weeks, I have not yet had one line from her. My mind is tortured. After 30 days, my wife is either captured or lost, end quote. Mm. In a letter dated February 24th, 1813, Joseph admits to his father-in-law that he's given up all hope of finding his wife alive. Yeah. Quote, my boy and my wife, gone both. This, then, is the end of all the hopes we have formed. You may well observe that you feel severed from the human race. She was the last thing that bound us to the species, end quote. Mm. Joseph passed on September 10th, 1816, from a seizure in Charleston, having never recovered from the loss of his son and wife. He died three years after her disappearance, utterly heartbroken. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah, like everywhere I read, like they both like really loved each other. Like it wasn't just a marriage of convenience. Like they both yeah. had a lot of genuine affection for one another. To this day, no one is quite sure what happened to the Patriot, and a number of theories have been proposed as to not only the ship's whereabouts, but also regarding the fate of Theodosia herself. Yeah. One thing we do know is that the Patriot was stopped off Cape Hatteras by the British fleet on January 2nd, 1813. Mm -hmm. But Joseph's letter seemed to have done the trick as they let the schooner pass unharmed. On the night of January 2nd, a gale came through that scattered the British fleet. And after this documented run-in, the whereabouts of the Patriot and all aboard are unknown. The most popular theory is that the Patriot was beset by pirates who patrolled the Outer Banks. A number of pirates from this time have made deathbed confessions regarding their involvement with the disappearance of the Patriot, including two men in 1820, Jean Defarge and Robert Johnson. In an article that was published on June 23, 1820 in the New York Advisor, the pair confessed to taking over the Patriot a few days into its journey before mm. plundering and sinking the vessel. 
having killed everyone aboard by trapping them in the hold before it sank. Wow. That's, that's really evil. The story was debunked given that both men claimed the sea had been calm when they boarded the vessel, when it was famously proven that the Atlantic was particularly choppy during early January 1813. Okay. Another man in 1833 told in lurid detail how he'd forced Theodosia to walk the plank, while other tales stated she'd been taken captive by a pirate that took her with him to Bermuda, where he made her his mistress. It doesn't feel like that would be possible, though, if she wasn't able to, if she wasn't able to have sex. They wouldn't have known that when they took her. No, but like, make, they have to find out eventually. Yeah. You know? Another tale is that she was murdered while attempting to fend off the advances of the pirate while the vessel was being captured. Another theory is that she was rescued by a Karankawa Indian chief from Texas. The chief claimed he rescued a young woman from a wrecked ship and that she gifted him with her locket before she passed. The locket in question was engraved with the name Theodosia, but this story has never been verified. Yeah, weird. More fanciful theories include that she may be the female stranger that is anonymously buried at St. Paul's Episcopal Church in Alexandra, Virginia. Hmm. It's been said that a veiled lady entered the city in 1816 with a man that claimed to be her husband. The woman was extremely ill, and even though a doctor was summoned to tend to her, she and her quote-unquote husband refused to divulge anything about their identities. She died shortly after, and many believe that it was in fact Theodosia and Dr. Green who had managed to return to the mainland after escaping from captivity. But if Hmm. this was true, why would a doctor seek the aid of another physician? Yeah, yeah. Unless they were like a quote-unquote doctor, which those existed a lot. Mm -hmm. Because you could just say you were a doctor. Yeah. Then, I mean, you can still kind of almost get away with it now, but... Yeah. Another pirate-themed link comes from 1869, when an old woman in Nags Head, North Carolina, named Polly Mann, paid for services rendered by the local doctor, Dr. William Gaskins Poole, with a fine oil portrait that many believe is of a young Theodosia. Hmm. Members of the Burr and Alston families were unable to positively identify Theodosia as the subject of the painting, Yet Polly noted that her deceased husband, Joseph Tillett, had found the portrait amongst the wreckage of a scuttled schooner that he'd found near Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. Interesting. In one of the cabins, in addition to the portrait, were many fine items, dresses, a vase of wax flowers under a glass globe, and a shell that was carved into the shape of a nautilus. Hmm. Dr. Poole had been accompanied by his daughter, Anna, who recalled that the portrait was, quote, of a beautiful young woman about 25 years of age, end quote. Which would be about the age she would have been at the time. Mm -hmm. Dr. Poole conducted extensive research on the painting and believed that its creator was John Vanderlyn. It's believed that Theodosia had commissioned the portrait prior to her journey to visit her father in New York as she wanted to gift it to him upon her arrival. That makes sense. That That's kind of on par for her behavior. Mm-hmm. In 1878, the New York Times published the deathbed confession of Benjamin F. Burdick, or Old Frank, as he was known, a former sailor who claimed to have been on the pirate ship that overtook the Patriot. While dying in a poorhouse in Michigan, he confessed the following to the minister's wife. Mm. Quote, he said there was one lady on board who was beautiful appearing, intelligent and cultivated who gave her name as Mrs. Theodosia Alston. 
when her turn came to walk the fatal plank, she asked for a few moments' time, which was gruffly granted her. She then retired to her berth and changed her apparel, appearing on deck in a few moments clad in pure white garments, and with a Bible in her hand, she announced that she was ready. She appeared as calm and composed as if she were at home, and not a tremor crept over her frame or a pallor overspread her features as she walked toward her fate. As she was taking the fatal steps, she folded her hand over her bosom and raised her eyes to heaven. She fell and sank without a murmur or a sigh, end quote. I feel like that's how Theodosia would die. I kind of believe that. Because she would, based on what we've learned from her, is if she was going to die, she's going to die on her own terms. Mm -hmm. And why not be theatrical about it? Yeah. This theory, pardon the pun, doesn't hold much water considering Theodosia wasn't religious. So the idea of her clutching a Bible as she fell to her death seems highly implausible. But you're right. It could have been like a very theatrical, yeah. here I go to my fate. I am going to my death. Because she would think it would be funny and ironic. Yeah. And nobody else would know. There are theories that it could have been the Carolina bankers who frequented the Sandbank Islands near Nags Head. During inclement weather, they would tie a lantern around a horse's neck and walk it up and down the beach to trick ships into thinking they were following another ship to safety. Ah. In fact, the opposite was true, and these ships would often enter the breakers and shallow waters, making them easy prey for land pirates to board and commandeer the ship and whatever cargo it happened to be carrying. Jerks. That's why they're called bankers. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Because they're banking like, the ships. They just make transactions. <laughs> <laughs> Here's some money for your ship and your cargo. Always depositing. Here's your receipt. Your receipt is my fist to your face. <laughs> I'm a pirate. If there is any merit to the portrait of Theodosia being real, it lends credence to a theory that she may have died off the North Carolina coast. It was noted in logbooks that a severe storm hit the area of Cape Hatteras on the afternoon of January 2nd, 1813, and continued through the next day. Considering where the schooner was at the time of the storm, after it had recently been seen by the British Navy, mm -hmm. and the fact that the Cape is nicknamed the Graveyard of the Atlantic, Fun. the most likely Great. answer to the question of what happened to the Patriot is that it sank during the hurricane-like storm that took place January 2nd yeah. and 3rd, 1813. That's kind of what I'm thinking. If they said that that happened, regardless of how like great the crew was. Mm -hmm. I mean, mother nature always wins. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of just a given. Yep. Generally. The infamous portrait of her can be found in the Lewis Walpole library at Yale. And her spirit is said to wander the plantation that she once called home, as well as on Richmond Hill and Baldhead Island. Her disappearance became the topic of a number of novels and magazine articles, and during the 19th and 20th centuries, many little girls were named after her. Oh, so Theodosia became a uh, popular name. Yeah. Cute. Aaron Burr died on September 14, 1836, at the age of 80 in Staten Island, New York. Wow. He was penniless and had been living at a boarding house after suffering a stroke that left him unable to move. He died never knowing what became of his little Miss Pris. His life sucked. Yeah. Sorry, it just did. Yeah. Theodosia Burr Alston was 29 when she disappeared. And that is the life and unsolved mystery regarding Theodosia Burr Alston.
Yeah, I think she probably died in the storm. Yeah, that seems like the most likely scenario. And then I can see how the wreckage that was found was the Schooner. Because if you remember, they covered up the name. So there would have been no Mm -hmm. way to know whose ship it was. Yep, they were trying to keep a low profile. Yep. Why else would there randomly be a portrait that looks like Theodosia in a ship like that? Right. And it's not like a bunch of Schooners would have been traveling through that area knowing that there was the British Navy patrolling. Mm -hmm. The idea of a quote-unquote passenger vessel going through those type of waters just willy-nilly. Yeah, during wartime. Yeah, it just seems like the most likely scenario. Mm Mm-hmm. And the reason there weren't human remains could be the fact that they drowned and they, yep. you know, became fish food. Yep. Hey, y'all. It's an all new season on Kudzu Killer's Homicide and Sweet Tea. Lark's moved on to pursue other interests, so it's just me, Kim, one chick flying solo. Season two will concentrate on unsolved missing persons cases as well as cold case murders and hope someone out there might recognize the story and remember a tiny detail that could bring justice and closure to the victims' families. It's going to be an interesting season, so please join me every Friday on your favorite podcast app for a new episode of Kudzu Killers. I'm looking forward to what we can dig up together. So this week's podcast plug is the Kudzu Killers podcast. Kudzu Killers is a true crime podcast run by our friend Kim, who discusses compelling tales of Southern style homicide. She just started season two of her show, and it's a great listen. If you enjoy some Southern charm with your true crime, give Kudzu Killers a listen. Cute. Do it. We'll have a link to her show in the show notes. And this week's listener question comes from our friends at the Oracle Network. And they Hi. want to know, do you have a pre-recording ritual? Coffee. Coffee, usually, yep. Yep, we get coffee. Sometimes, well, more often than not, we we take a few moments just to kind of catch up personally mm-hmm. before we get started. Because it's allergy season, we spend a good chunk of time hacking yeah our lungs out (laughs) prior to it i don't know that's kind of my ritual i have a habit of so i drink my coffee and i have a habit of either coughing or blowing my nose before we start recording because (laughs) that's something that will always happen before i start saying anything in the mic which is always charming can confirm yes it's very cute (laughs) well do you have something good to share this week I do, actually. So today technically is a one year anniversary for me and my partner. Yay. And we both were pretty busy today. And so we spent yesterday doing like a full date day. And we actually haven't been able to do like a lot of dates during quarantine. So we went to the zoo and we spent four hours at the zoo. And my favorite part was the prairie dogs. Cause like when they get really excited, they go <laughs> and they like kind of hop until so you just hear like these little. <laughs> and they were just super fun to watch. And then we went to the mall which was a little intimidating at first, but the Mall of America has all these crazy new restaurants and stuff on the the fourth floor and the third floor. And so they have laser tag now, laser tag and nerf tag. It's like this tactical combat place. Uh, It's super fun. Like we went, we did laser tag for an hour and got really sweaty. (laughs) 
and played with strangers and it was very normal feeling and it felt it was really cool they have axe throwing and they have go-karts like electronic go-karts nice. this is like outside of the nickelodeon universe so we decided that for my birthday uh in a month that we're going to go back and probably do the axe throwing and go-karting because it'll be like during the week Mm-hmm. So hopefully it'll be quieter, but yeah, we just had a really, a really nice day. And then I ended the day. There's a, these frozen fruit treats that are on shortage right now. And I couldn't find them anywhere. I found three bags and you best believe I was a selfish lady and got all three. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying I'm disabled and I need them. <laughs> Even though they're treats. <laughs> I'm disabled. So that's how I end the day. And it was, it was a good day. Nice. What about you? What's a good thing for this week? So on Friday night, I was able to go to a local brewery called Uncommon Loon in Center City. And I was able to meet up with some of my girlfriends, my co-leaders for the Girl Scout troop. And it was the first time that we've kind of been able to hang out and just kind of you know, relax without the kids around. And so we had some drinks and this uncommon loon, so they don't have to have like a kitchen, a food license. They bring in food trucks. Yep. Most breweries in Minnesota do that. And so they had a food truck from one of the the local butcher shops in Lindstrom, Deutschland Meats. So it was really good. I bet. Deutschland yeah, I got all the meat. So I got a porchetta sandwich and an old fashioned wiener and they were both delicious. So that was really fun. And in talking, we're making plans to kayak at some point this summer together and do some more girl outings, just the three of us. So cool. I'm excited. Yay, friendship. Yay, friends. So friends. we all joked about the fact that we have forgotten how to people. So yeah, it was really uh, fun. It was very clear at the mall, too. There, I mean, there was a, f- a fair amount of people there, but there would be times where, like, people would just, like, walk in front of the escalator when you're about to, like, get off, and they would just stand there for a minute. And it's like, <laughs> dude, I'm going to fall. Like, you need to move. <laughs> and there would be times where, like, people would, like, walk in front of you and then just stop. I hate and that. And stare at something. That is and one of my pet like, peeves at a mall or anywhere where right. they're just, ugh. And it's like, okay, first off, six feet, you know, like we're we're all adjusting. And second of all, like, what are you uh, like a bird? Like, why are you you just like they they just shut down and look (laughs) like a squirrel. Yeah. And then they kind of like snap out of it and they're like, oh, yeah, I'm in a mall. (laughs) Yeah. I should be (laughs) more aware of my surroundings. You could tell that there were a lot of people that weren't used to being around people. It's it's going to be an adjustment and, you know, it might, depending on how things go, it might go back to the way it was a little bit, but I don't know. It was comforting, but it was also, it's just kind of that little like jarring type of thing. Well, you don't want to take advantage of it. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. Kind of savoring the moment. I get it. Shall we? We shall. You can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at yieldcrimepod and on Instagram at yieldcrimepodcast. You can also find us on YouTube. Subscribe. We don't have a lot of subscribers. So if you were to subscribe on YouTube, that'd be awesome. You can listen to us at work and laugh inappropriately. Yes. Do it. We have a P.O. box. You can write to us at Yield Crime Podcast, 
P.O. Box 341, Wyoming, Minnesota 55092. Don't want to rush you guys, but like our birthdays are coming up (laughs) and we still have yet to get a trampoline. So a little disappointed, but it's fine. You know, you guys got time. uh, August is the deadline. (laughs) Get us the trampoline. Oh, man. Could you imagine if we actually got one? I would feel so guilty. I wouldn't want to jump on it. Oh, I would. <laughs> and then I make it like a ball pit. If you get like the little cage. So it's just a it's just a whole hazard. It's just a hazard and a half. It'd be amazing. We could podcast on the trampoline from now on. Or you could have like a bubble machine going so that it becomes super slick and you just. Oh, and falling. like sticky too. Mm-hmm. It would kind of cut down bathing because you'd already be like covered in Dawn soap. So. <laughs> Hose you down. You can email us at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. You can send us your questions. You can send us gifts. You can send us story suggestions. Mm-hmm. And gifts is in G I F S. Yeah, not gifts with yeah. T. And absolutely not gifs, unless yeah. it's Jiffy peanut butter, in yes. which case, feel free to share. Yes. If you'd like to support us but can't do so financially, you can do so by leaving us a five-star rating and review, such as this one from our friend Chef Tebs at the Movie Chef podcast. Mm-hmm. He says, great, five stars. Madison and Lindsay offer some really unique and interesting true crime stories from long ago. They walk you through the story and have a great insight into the horrors they describe. I won't look at a thigh master in the same way again. <laughs> Well, you can tell where he, uh, which episode he listened to. Exactly. (laughs) Sorry. If you'd like to support us financially, you can do so on Buy Me a Coffee. Leave us a one-time donation. You can also support us on a monthly basis for as low as a dollar a month by joining our Patreon. Every tier will get you early ad-free access to our episodes. We also have a $5, $10, and $15 tier. If you would like to rep us, you can do so by visiting our Tee Public store. There will be a special sale next week. So you can obviously purchase stuff now, or if you'd like to save a little moolah, you can wait until next week when there's going to be a sale. And on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Madison. And we'll see you next time with another tale of Elder's Crime. <laughs>